Hello and welcome to the program. We're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We don't invoke angels. We don't plead to an angel to come and help us. Prayer is a part of our worship. It's an act of our worship. We are to give God and God alone worship. Whether we fully appreciate it or even want to know about it or not, there is a dimension that we don't see. It's a spiritual or heavenly realm and it has its own population that we broadly refer to as angels. What's that all about? Are they all the same with halos and big wings or is there more to it than that? Tonight is part five of the Darkness series and we're going to explore the population of the heavenly realm in greater detail and see what they do. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for the next instalment in the Darkness series, What Was Once Not Darkness. So today we're going to be continuing looking at our darkness series and in a moment I'll pray and and then it's my hope that you come to understand that there is a realm, a spiritual realm, a heavenly realm that interacts with our realm, it interacts here with us and it's actually incredibly relevant. Now for some of us we may think that we're talking about this supernatural realm and it's more about science fiction But what I want to show you is that the Bible is a supernatural book. It it makes no apology in discussing the supernatural realm and its implications for us today. So let's pray. Father, as we open your word, I pray that we would hear your voice. I pray that we would hear from you and that God, you would grip our hearts. Help us to understand your word. Help us to see into your word things that you put there. May I not be guilty of putting things into your word that were never there in the first place. So Lord, speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name. So we're continuing to look at the darkness series. And this is called What Was Once Not Darkness. So we're looking at what was that realm like? What was the realm like before evil entered into the world? By looking at this, I hope that we get an insight into the very thing that Scripture is talking about and to see that there is an intersection between the realm that God created that is occupied by what we call angels And there is this realm, our material, physical realm. And so let's have a look at something that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. He wrote this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now I want to point out some of the the language that the Apostle Paul here has used he describes the church's battle and this famous chapter 6 of ephesians is that is known as the spiritual warfare chapter and so paul's talking about the spiritual battle that the church faces is with the forces of evil and darkness so that's that's some of his language there he describes the forces of darkness as being rulers and authorities in cosmic places so what we I think what we need to understand is where on earth did they come from? And I'm going to leave that to our next installment. But what I want to look at is what was it like before that happened, before there were evil, dark forces in, in these, these cosmic places, as the Apostle Paul put it. Well, to, to understand that, we need to look at the heavenly realm. You, you know, the opening verse of the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And it's heavens that I want to point out now. Because the heavenly realm and the glorious beings that inhabit that realm were created to be God's family. In fact, there's family language to describe these creatures all through Scripture. And this took place before God created our physical dimension, before he created earth and and our physical dimension. The creator 
who is identified in, in Genesis chapters, <laughs> chapter 1 from right from the outset. In the beginning, God created. He established a heavenly realm and its citizens. It appears from Scripture as we piece it together that the Lord also established what we might call a divine council comprised of what we might describe as high-ranking heavenly beings. Now, these high-ranking heavenly beings are seen in some of the scriptures, particularly, perhaps surprisingly, in the last book of the Bible. So if we jump into Revelation chapter 4, and we see John is caught up into heaven, and he says this, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. Verse 3, And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow, that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion, the second living creature, like an ox, the third living creature, with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. So here we see the book of Revelation giving us a glimpse of what we might call heaven's throne room. And we see thrones in, in the presence of the throne. So in other words, it's, it's, it's as if, you know, if we could imagine, say, a, a parliament where you have uh, the Speaker of the House, I guess, sitting on the chair and then in front, in front and around him or her, uh, the other uh, governors, the, the elected representatives. But in this case, what we have is a picture of what appears to be a divine council a divine room where god is ruling he's the he's the ruler but he also has these creatures that were created to rule with him now in revelation of course it's a picture of the redeemed and it's a picture that john's getting of the future destiny of of the, the church as well but here we have a glimpse that in heaven there are thrones now, God is clearly the supreme. God is unique. God is absolutely the only one who is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, and so on. God's the only one who fulfills that. All these other creatures are created by him to do his bidding, as we'll see in a moment. So we get hints in Scripture that God had created certain beings, these heavenly creatures, we might call them, with different purposes and different ranks. So we, we tend to use a couple of catch-all words when describing these spiritual beings. In this, in this installment of what we, we want to look at into the spiritual realm, I want to look at the catch-all word that we use, and we use the word angels to describe these, these good beings, these beings that God created. And we'll see some of the descriptions that the Scripture gives to these, these good angels. In Psalm 103, verse 20, it says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. So you see there that these creatures are called the mighty ones. And we'll have a look at some of the other descriptions there. But we also see their purpose. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, 
you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. So there we have really the purpose stated for what God had created and designed these heavenly beings to be and to do. Now the word angel comes from the Greek word transliterated. In other words, you take the sound of a word in another language and you just make it uh, the sound of that word into your own language. And that word angel comes from the Greek word angelos. And the, the word angel, I'm going to suggest to you, is used in scripture and it's used in everyday common speech to refer to all of God's heavenly creatures. And, and I'm going to start to use the word heavenly family in a moment. But there's, there's various descriptions that are, that are used to describe these beings. We've just seen in Psalm 103 that they are called mighty ones. In other scriptures, they're called holy ones. And in other scriptures, they're called sons of God. And that's where we get the sense of family from. So Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8, a scripture that we'll come back to quite a bit in this installment and in the next. It says, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples. And we know, just pausing there, we know that that happened at the Tower of Babel, or the Tower of Babel, where the peoples were divided. And this is what it's talking about. When he divided the mankind, when he fixed the borders of the people, according to the number of the sons of God. So we have a reference here. It's a bit of a mysterious reference where it says that the number of borders or the number of, I suppose, nations that were established around the world have been determined by the number of the sons of God. So it appears that there's a category of heavenly beings that were particularly uh, designed to be and called to be the sons of God. And we'll see this expression used throughout Scripture. All right, there's types of heavenly creatures described in the Bible. Let's have a look at some of them. Firstly, seraphim. By the way, whenever you hear a Hebrew word that ends with im, it's the equivalent of the English letter S. So in other words, seraphim is we might say in English, seraphs, it's, it's plural. There's more than one, which is what plural means. And that word seraphim actually, or seraph, comes from a Hebrew root word that means bright and shiny ones. And so William Nelson in the Erdman's Dictionary of the Bible describes them like this. The seraphim were most likely serpentine in shape, which is a, perhaps an odd description. These heavenly beings, it says in that dictionary, are seen by Isaiah in his inaugural vision. That's recorded in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. They were probably so-called seraphim because they shone brightly like fire, which is the part of the, the root of that word. It describes the seraphims having six wings, two for covering their faces, lest they look directly at God, two for covering their feet, which is a euphemism for their genitalia which speaks of modesty and warns against the Canaanite fertility cult that was popular around the, the time of the writing of the Pentateuch that would, and the two for flying. When Isaiah complains of his unclean lips, the seraphs purify him with a coal taken from the altar. The next type of heavenly creature that we see is the cherubim. The cherubim are described in scriptures as being protectors and guardians of the sacred, especially God's presence. 
And that's taken from another Bible dictionary, the Lexham Bible Dictionary. Cherubim are mentioned uh, over 90 times in the Old Testament. They're only mentioned once in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, cherubim are especially associated with sacred space. Images of cherubim uh, were central to the iconography, that is the, the, um, the, the, the etchings and so on, into the furnishings of the tabernacle and Solomon's temple. We read about that in Exodus chapter 26, verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 6 verse 29 and Ezekiel chapter 41 verse 15. Two golden cherubim uh, protected the Ark of the Covenant and served as Yahweh's throne, uh, served at Yahweh's throne in the, in the tabernacle. Actually, they served as, I've got it right the first time, as Yahweh's throne in the tabernacle. We see that in Exodus chapter 25 verses 18 to 22. A two large wooden cherubim overlaid the gold that guarded the entrance to the temple sanctuary. 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 23 to 28. So cherubim, uh, we also see, are uh, noted in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24, where they are stationed at the entrance to the Garden of Eden, particularly to guard the tree of life after mankind had fallen into sin. So when the Old Testament refers to Yahweh, which is the Hebrew word for, for the Lord, he who dwells above the cherubim, example um, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, Isaiah chapter 37 verse 16, and Psalm 80 verse 1, it alludes to both the ark's representation of the cherubim and its symbolism, that is the cherubim's symbolism, of God's presence and the belief that Yahweh is literally enthroned above cherubim and that the cherubim accompany him in, in some way. So what else after cherubim? Well, we've got the archangels. Now, this is a term that refers to angels of incredibly high rank. And we have two examples of this in the scriptures. The two examples of this are Gabriel and Michael, who are both referred to. Um, we see also references in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16 and Jude uh, chapter, well, Jude 9. There's only one chapter in Jude. So we then see that there are other types of heavenly creatures, part of God's family mentioned in Scripture, and these include watchers. Now these watchers are referred to in Daniel chapter 4, three times. Um, they, they are people who are, well, they are beings that are the agents of Yahweh. And I'll be talking more about the watchers uh, in our next installment because they, they feature quite heavily. Quite probably the watchers are the ones in, in mind when Deuteronomy 32, 8 says, the Lord divided peoples and he set the boundaries of nations and he assigned them according to the number of the sons of God. It's almost certainly referring to these watcher angels who had a very special task to fulfill as God's agents. But all of these heavenly creatures were created, as we've seen from Psalm 103, where it just uses that catch-all word, um, angels and mighty ones. They were created to serve, to worship, to glorify and to reflect Yahweh. Now, I think there's some things we need to know about angels because I've heard a lot, I've heard a lot of fanciful nonsense about our interaction with angels. Firstly, these 
heavenly beings are members of God's heavenly family and they were created with free will. That means they, they could choose to obey or they were free to choose not to obey. That, that becomes clear as we'll see, especially in our next instalment. The higher ranking members of God's heavenly family were given greater authority. That's, so we might, in, in our humanness, we like everyone to be equal and everyone to kind of be of the same rank. But clearly in the, the depiction of heaven and its structure... There is a, 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 a hierarchy. So these higher ranking members of God's heavenly family were given greater authority. Now these creatures, these members of God's family, were created as immortal. That is, they would live agelessly forever. And therefore they, uh, they are not eternal. That is, they haven't always existed. There was a point in time when they were created now, some members of God's heavenly family were created with the, with the capacity to materialize into our earthly realm. And we read, as we'll see in a moment in, in Hebrews 13, the writer of Hebrews says, Some have actually entertained angels without realizing it, which is a, quite a mysterious verse if we don't accept the Bible's supernatural uh, aspects. So some of these members of, the, of God's heavenly family are given the capacity to actually enter into our subconsciousness and communicate messages with thoughts or dreams. We've got lots of examples of this in Scripture. For example, let's have a look at a few of them. In Genesis chapter 31, verse 11, it says, Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. So there we have Jacob saying that an angel appeared to him in a dream, came to him and said something to him in a dream. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20, we have this, but as he, that is uh, Joseph, the, uh, should we say, the one assumed to be the father of Jesus, who actually fathered Jesus, but he, he uh, well, he was a father to Jesus. He, he didn't father Christ, of course. He was uh, born of the Virgin Mary. But as he continued, uh, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. We also see in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 13 that Joseph continued to have angels appear to him in dreams it says now when they had departed behold an angel of the lord appeared to joseph in a dream and said rise take the child and his mother and flee to egypt and remain there until i tell you for herod is about to search for the child to destroy him a few verses down at verse 19 of matthew 2 it says but when herod died behold an angel of the lord appeared in a dream to joseph in egypt so we can see that there is the, the ability that some of these angels have to enter into people's dreams. Now these heavenly family members can enter into our realm. They can interact with people and material objects. Let's have a look at some examples of this. We have 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 35. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 2. And behold, 
there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Uh, Acts chapter 12 verse 7 and behold an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying get up quickly and the chains fell off his hands. Uh, Again in Acts chapter 12 a bit later on verse 23 immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last speaking of uh, Herod. Uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, I just re- referenced this a moment ago. I mentioned it. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, it says, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So there's some physical depictions of members of God's heavenly family. Um, for example, some of them are described as having animal features. Now, those depictions are are quite possibly symbolic. In other words, they're being described that way so that that description becomes a, a part of the message of Scripture. In other words, it's a kind of a metaphor for something else. So um, when it describes the, some of these beings having wings, it means that they can move. They, they Simply that they, they are able to move. When it says that they cover their eyes, it means they are in the presence of the Holy One. When they cover their legs it means that they are uh, mindful of the fact that they are to be uh, obedient to God when they uh, are able to uh, have wings that it describes them moving it's simply a, a depicting depicting it in a way that we can comprehend it because of course when the scripture was written there were no such things as planes and Uh, aircraft and so on but this gave the impression these creatures could move in and out of our dimension quite freely the the descriptions of the cherubim uh, particularly uh, ones where they have uh, the animal features and quite possibly there well almost certainly there's a message behind that that may not be immediately obvious but it we could have a look at that a bit later but the four faces actually each reflect an aspect of Christ and his ministry. So we see that heavenly beings, the members of God's heavenly family, they actually can't read your mind. They can't read your thoughts. Now this is super important to understand when we look at the dark side, when we look at some of these creatures that have fallen into rebellion against God and they are now part of the principalities and powers that the Apostle Paul was talking about. And sometimes we can think, well, they can read our mind. Well, there's not one scripture that indicates that they can read our mind. In fact, there's only one being that is described in scripture as having the ability to read our mind, and that is God himself. The Bible doesn't say that an angel or an angelic creature has that capacity to do that. We are also, this is again important to understand, that we are not to invoke, in other words, call upon, or to pray to members of God's heavenly family. We don't pray to angels. We don't invoke angels. We don't plead to an angel to come and help us. Prayer is a part of our worship. It's an act of our worship. We are to give God and God alone worship. Let's have a look at an example of this. In Revelation chapter 22, 8, John is being spoken to by an angel. It says this, And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel 
who showed them to me. Revelation 22 verse 9, But he said, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. So we see that God uses some members of his heavenly family to guard and watch over members of his redeemed earthly family. So, and and I, I suppose God only knows what, what that looks like in the spiritual realm when we are praying for a beloved family member, perhaps in a difficult situation. I guess, and I am guessing, if we were to see into the spiritual realm, whether we would see how God is answering our prayer by sending angelic beings into that situation who have the capacity, as we've just seen, and and we'll see in a bit more at the moment, uh, they have the capacity to interact into our physical realm. We've seen already that that an an angel struck Herod and he became sick and, and died, and it was God's judgment. So when we're praying, who knows how God is answering that prayer by using a creature that we might call an angelic creature. But Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says this, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And that's speaking of angels. So there we see God uses some of his, the members of his heavenly family to guard and to watch over members of his earthly and redeemed family. So... Uh, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, we get this, um, I, th- I guess this is the grounding, this reference for where we, we get the concept of, uh, quote-unquote, guardian angels. Jesus said this, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So there, that's the basis for... Uh, people who teach that you know God has assigned a certain angel to guard a person, and it was a long-held Christian belief for quite some time. And there may be some basis to it; I don't know, but that is what the Scripture says. That Jesus says there are angels who are watching over um, some of the redeemed, the, the the believers. We read in Psalm ninety-one, verse eleven. And he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. So more facts about the heavenly beings that God uses some members of his heavenly family to record every human's sinful words, deeds and thoughts to be recalled on the day of judgment. Now that should send a bit of a chill down each of our spines, knowing that while it might feel like at the time no one's watching no one is aware but the bible actually says that everything we do everything we say everything we think is being recorded ready to be rolled out on the day of judgment if you have a look at revelation chapter 20 it says when that day the day of judgment happens it says and the books plural will be opened and some scholars believe it's a book of prayer a book of words a book of deeds and a book of thought, heart, motivation, so the, the hidden intents of the heart. So we see in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36, it says this, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. So there is some reference there. Uh, there's there's enough reference there to talk about how God uses his angels 
to hold people to account on the day of judgment. So God will use members of his heavenly family to separate the righteous from the wicked on the day of judgment. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 to 49. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, down to verse 49. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. And Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So also we see that from the outset of God creating his earthly image bearers, that is uh, Adam and the woman, uh, the man and the woman, Yahweh, that is the Lord, had assigned the watchers. So this is the category of angels that I mentioned before, the category of heavenly beings, to particularly assist and watch over mankind as his heavenly representative governors. So we will see that one of these watchers rebelled against his creator and soon others joined him in rebelling by abusing their authority and powers. So this is what I want. I just hope that we get now. These creatures that God has created, these heavenly um, members of his family, of, of members of his heavenly family, they are glorious. They are magnificent. They are described as mighty ones. We, we see angels at the tomb of Christ rolling the stone away, just rolling the stone away as if this, this three-ton rock was, was nothing. We see angels being able to open prison doors. We've read about these accounts in, in this brief study of, of the, the side of the heavenly realm that is good and it remains good. It's not, only, it's, it's not just good, it's good because they are servants of God. They reflect God. So here's what I think we need to know. That these, many of these, these creatures are going to be involved in our judgment on the last day, the day of judgment. Are you ready for it? Have you settled accounts with God? Because this is going to be so important because the scriptures reveal that everything you've said, everything you've done, everything you've thought, everything you've prayed is being recorded. And on that day of judgment, we will not have a leg to stand on unless we have asked God for forgiveness and cleansing and surrendered our lives over to Christ. That is our only hope. I want to pray and then I hope you'll join me for our next installment as we look at the origin of the forces of darkness and how we're going to explain how some of the creatures of the heavenly realm went dark. So let's, let's pray. Father, I pray for everyone who's joined with me now in this study of your word. I pray that there would be an excitement that you have created this realm and you've created this realm for our good. And Lord, I pray for those who do not yet know you, that you would put something in their heart that cries out to you, Father, please forgive me, that they might call you Father, that they might have a desire to come to be your child, and that, Lord, as they cry out to you, you would answer their prayer and turn them to your throne. So, Lord, I thank you for 
those who have surrendered their lives to you and those who are joining with me now and they have already done so. Bless them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, God created heavenly creatures of differing ranks and purposes and they were all created to serve, worship, reflect and glorify God. But we know that a few of them appeared to go rogue. More from Dr. Corbett on that next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.